today on Mother Mayhem. You're so used to having this habitually low self-esteem that you might not even realize that some of the healing you've been doing is actually already starting to connect and it's actually starting to change your perception of yourself. We so often carry these old, tired narratives of ourselves. And sometimes we just have to stop ourselves and ask, now that I've started to do the work, who am I now? What do I think? What do I believe? What's my truth? How have I changed? Welcome back to Mother Mayhem, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast for Daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray, and today we are back talking about trusting your gut, leaning into your intuition, and confident decision-making. Because when you're the daughter of a narcissistic mother, it really can feel like you don't know your own damn mind sometimes. It's hard to make decisions when you're so used to simply trying for the answer or the solution that's going to get you out of the most amount of trauma or drama or caught up in the least amount of trauma or drama. It can be hard to navigate your own life, but also as you're working to having like healthier responses with your mom, it can be hard to figure out how to deal with her and still be healthy within yourself. The work here is getting yourself back in the driver's seat of your own life. and the daughter role, you are in that passenger seat of your life, reacting to whatever your mom is doing, saying, not doing, or not saying. And you're also probably sometimes stuck in what I call future casting. You're looking so far ahead at what's coming ahead that your mom might be having reactions to. So you can kind of cut that stuff off at the pass. I call it a prevent defense too. Well, I don't just call it a prevent defense. I'm a huge football fan. Patriots, New England Patriots, by the way, just putting that down. But the prevent defense of making a move based ahead of time, based on what you think the offense is going to do, all of that is your trauma brain kicking into gear. And when you're doing that, you're scanning for risk or you're scanning for threats. But when you're doing that, it can be really hard to feel like you know your own mind in the moment or you know yourself when you're constantly looking at the world through the way your mom might be looking at the world and trying to anticipate her every move so you can maintain the status quo. It's hard to trust your gut when you've never actually been allowed to follow it. Our gut instinct, it requires that we get our reps in. We have to get practice at leaning into our intuition, seeing where it takes us, and figuring out when it leads us astray. It's only in learning to follow our guts and our instincts that we come to know our own mind and come to know what is actually best for us and not someone else. And we can't ever know that the first time out. That's why it takes practice. And as an adult child of a narcissistic parent, you're likely feeling a little bit behind the game. It probably feels like everyone started working on this when they were 18 or just becoming adults. Some of you are just starting to know these healthier versions of you at 35, at 45, or 55. And I get it. I get you. 
and I think I can help. What we're going to do is we're going to dive into Wendy's question. And if you're wondering how I picked the name Wendy, she's a character on Billions, and oh my gosh, I love her. She's such a badass, but she also really has this softness in some places. She knows how to call people on their shit, but she also has her own blind spots when it comes to herself. I'll never in all my days be as much of a badass as she is, but I do know a little bit about having blinders on and when it comes to myself. And perfectly imperfect is how I like to think about it. So here's what Wendy has to say to us today. I know for me, in my experience, one of the key effects has been how I no longer trust my own gut or my own intuition. And I've had to go through things and second guess myself. Maybe if you could elaborate on that, that would help. Thanks so much. Wendy, of course I get why you're second-guessing yourself, and I know a whole host of women listening here who get it too, because over the course of these episodes, you've heard me talking about how you all got into whatever situation you're in. Sometimes I worry a little bit that you just want me to get to and jump to the part where it's, yeah, I know, Heather, the psychobabble, but what do you want me to do about it? And here's the thing. We have to spend time on the psychology behind some of these things. We have to understand how we got here. Because if we think it's our fault, then we feel shame and blame. And we internalize the problem as our fault, as a weakness in ourselves. So in other words, what happens is before you can even work on solving the problem, you have to push past all those shitty narratives that you've been following and piling onto yourself. And in some ways, if you think about it, it's like going for a walk and then first being told you have to go uphill and then at some point having ankle weights attached to you. So what I'm trying to do here in explaining the psychology behind all of this, it's my intention to help you drop the dead weight that you're dragging around with you so you can just get to this place of confidence and centeredness. So here's what we know. Your mom manipulated your own thoughts and feelings so many times, it's hard for you to see them clearly, to know them as yours, and to trust that they are true and that they are accurate. And of course, after a lifetime of that, it is going to be hard to trust your own judgment. We know that gaslighting is a favorite toy of narcissistic moms and they use it to get their kids to change their reactions to and their thoughts about things. Your truth was repeatedly erased and skipped over. And when it wasn't, it was likely often twisted into something else entirely. So if we let that be the backdrop, you don't just need to get practice at knowing what your truth is but you also need to get practice at figuring out what it is you want to do about it. And after years and years of being invalidated and minimized, doing so in some ways becomes your habit. It reminds me a little bit of when I was a young adult. I've shared with you in the past that my stepmother ran a little bit on the controlling side of life because she was anxious. So as a result, she never let me go into the kitchen. To give you an idea of what this looks like, in all my years of growing up, and now even as a guest in the house, I have never 
not once, gone into the kitchen of my home and simply poured myself a glass of orange juice. As a kid, when I was thirsty, I had to ask and she'd get it for me. And as an adult, pretty much the same. She doesn't like people touching the stuff in her kitchen and it's the way she left it and nobody's going to clean it as good as she's going to do it. As a result, what happened is I ended up going to college and I didn't know how to cook. I got myself this babysitting job. I was super psyched and proud of myself for getting it right away. I felt super responsible. But then I immediately panicked (laughs) when I was left with a kid and told to make her macaroni and cheese for dinner because I've never done it before. I didn't know how to cook and I needed to ask my friends for help. And I was so embarrassed. But once I got out of college and I had my own place, I spent time learning how to cook and I started to hold dinner parties. And every time someone would mention, hey, remember that time Heather didn't know how to boil pasta? Over and over again, I would hear that until I figured out that I could just ask them to stop with the story. But as a result, I carried the story that I wasn't a good cook. It's just how I thought of myself because that's what was repeatedly reinforced for me until I had a what the fuck moment and realized I was 22, the only one in my friend group who even had her own place and was cooking her own food, and I was inviting them over for dinner. I never updated my story of myself, so the narrative that they carried about me had become the narrative I started to carry about myself. Now, that wasn't even gaslighting. They were just giving me shit, and they were people who loved me and adored me and cared about me a whole heck of a lot, and they were people who picked me up off the ground. So I'm not here to give them a pile of shit, but it shows you how when people tell you who you are on repeat, even in jest, even from a place of love, it so easily can become this part of your own story and your own narrative. And it's not until we bring that shit into light that we start removing all of the shame that's dripping from it and we call it for what it is and we see our truth. It's also no wonder that you don't know what your truth is or what's true for you when you're trying to set those first boundaries for yourself because so often you were just ignored or stepped over. So if you think something through and you set a boundary and as a result, it's then ignored and you're treated like you never even spoke or you never even said anything, doesn't it kind of make sense to you that it would develop into a pattern of second guessing yourself as an adult? We know too that most of you are going to be coming to the show struggling with low self-esteem. Many of you don't like yourselves very much. It hurts me to say that. It hurts me to know it. One of the reasons why I'm doing this show and my passion for this show is helping you have better relationships with yourselves, helping you learn how to love yourselves and care about yourselves. But I know that a good handful of you, multiple handfuls of you, struggling to believe that anyone would like you. So if you're feeling that low about yourselves, it's no wonder that you might second guess anything you think or feel as valid. I also think that sometimes what happens is the truth gets really scary to say out loud, even some of the most benign things. 
if we're just starting to get a sense of ourselves and are just starting to feel like we're coming into our own, it can be hard to have confidence in the area that we can say our truth out loud and still be liked and still be loved. Saying that truth comes with this fear of abandonment, especially at the beginning of doing so. So of course we want to check and double check and triple check our work. We don't want to be abandoned or rejected for having an opinion. And let's face it, healing like this, the kind we're doing together, the kind I'm asking you to consider for yourselves, narcissistic recovery work isn't actually something that you can binge on, <laughs> even though so many of you have certainly tried by listening to episodes of this podcast and trying to push through a lot of episodes at the same time. But hopefully what you're coming to learn from me too is that real change takes time. And that's what so many of you are managing. You're all living in this messy middle of your lives between who you were before you started the narcissistic abuse recovery work and who you're trying to be. That's how you got here. And I get it. So, Wendy, hopefully you can see a little bit how this isn't your fault. Your struggle makes sense. And I do think I can help you figure out what the heck you can start doing about it. So first, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start here. Write with the note that you wrote me. Because by recognizing the pattern you're in, you're acknowledging that something isn't quite right with how you think about yourself, how you think about your feelings, or how you think about your decisions. If you thought second-guessing yourself or not trusting your instinct were normal, you wouldn't be questioning it in the first place. The fact that you're questioning it is actually showing that your wise mind is starting to build a more significant presence in your life. You're probably wondering what I mean by wise mind. I don't think I've actually used this one on the show before, so let me break it down for you. You've heard me talk about trauma brain and how trauma brain wires us for protection, how it scans for risk, how it keeps us in fight, flight, or freeze. It's trauma brain that you're caught in when you're second-guessing yourself. It's that part of you that's wired to believe you will get in trouble for your thoughts, that there are wrong answers to how you're thinking or feeling, and that there are right answers to what you might be thinking or feeling. And it's trauma brain that has you thinking that you have to check and recheck just to be sure, and that you might not know what you're talking about. Sometimes trauma brain gets a hold of us and thinks it knows better than we do because it's trying to protect us. And sometimes it even thinks it has to protect us from ourselves. So we need to tell it to calm the fuck down and take it down a notch or two or ten. Trauma brain keeps you in your head. Wise mind welcomes in your feelings into the situation. It welcomes your thoughts. It welcomes your intuition. It's like the space that exists between your head and your heart. Wise mind is what allows you to make decisions that are right for you. Wise mind is when logic and intuition are able to work together. It's your wise mind that's telling you that you don't always need to be second-guessing yourself. It's your wise mind that knows you are telling the truth. 
that what happened was real and that you know what you're talking about. Reducing the amount of time you spend second-guessing yourself or doubting yourself will come down to tuning into wise mind more often. Sometimes when you catch yourself second-guessing yourself or invalidating your own truth, all you have to do is ask yourself, is this trauma brain talking or am I in my wise mind right now? Remind yourself that you want to be in wise mind, that you choose to be in wise mind, and that you can handle it. Getting into wise mind should be quick. If you practice this and you work on it regularly, it's going to get easier and it is going to become more ingrained. But for a while, it's going to feel glitchy and new and uncomfortable and weird and awkward. I want to walk you through the three-step process here for how to think about it. In all honesty, if I had all the time in the world, I would be adding this to the skill sheet that I have of resources for slow and steady strategies for narcissistic abuse recovery. In all transparency, my friends, I am heading out in another week and a half on vacation. I don't have the time to nurture that document and update it like I would like to. So this isn't going to be in that skill sheet. You might want to grab a pen, grab a piece of paper and write this down and take some notes. I should have probably said that at the beginning of the episode. Apologies. Again, we're looking to build getting into wise mind as a habit. It's not going to be habitual at first. Super wonky to start. So what you're probably going to need to do, because trauma brain keeps you wired, scanning for risk in that hypervigilant state, a little bit triggered, a little bit buzzy, if you will, in order to get into wise mind, it's going to be important to first calm your body. So you want to be able to pause and take some deep breaths. And if you have to, do a grounding exercise. I have a couple of those in the resources in the companion guide on the website. But take a second for whatever kind of mindfulness might work for you. Take a few deep breaths. The kind that I've walked you through on the show before, the kind that have start that starts at the tip of your toes, goes slowly up the front of your body to the top of your head. You want to hold that breath for a second, and then you want to slowly let it out and let it go down your back, down your neck, your shoulders, etc., down the back of your arms, out your feet. Take a couple of those deep breaths so you can get yourself calm and centered. Next, you simply want to name your emotions. You just want to list them out. We're not processing them. We're not attaching a story to them. It's, I'm feeling sad, anxious, scared. I'm feeling small, stupid, blah, blah, blah. You just want to name your emotions. List them out without judging them, blaming, shaming, explaining. Just name them. Then you want to think about what are the facts and what are your feelings. You want to be thinking about them at the same time. What does your rational mind tell you? Then take a second to consider what does your emotional heart-centered place telling you? Try to find that middle ground where both your feelings and your rational thoughts naturally meet up. That's where you're going to find your intuition. And sometimes you're just going to know something in your gut, even though you can't see a rational reason for it, 
or don't have any facts to back it up, once you've assured yourself that it's not trauma brain talking, I actually am a big fan of listening to that voice. After all, starting this show, I just heard it as a whisper of something I could or should do. And now I get to meet you and help everyone listening, even though Trauma Brain tried to tell me that I did this before and it didn't work, even though Trauma Brain tried to tell me that there were already so many other shows talking about narcissism and that some of the people talking had PhDs with their names, I just listened to the whisper and I went for it. And it's led me to this pretty special thing that we're all just at the beginning of building and creating together. Getting into wise mind, knowing your own mind, and trusting your own mind is for sure going to be a process. And sometimes those quick stops for wise mind check-ins, they're not even going to work because after all, you have way more practice at thinking of and considering risk. You have way more examples of being punished for your thoughts and feelings, disregarded for your thoughts and feelings. And those experiences, sometimes they're going to be hard to compete with when you're trying to find your way. Something I like to do in these situations, if you're finding it hard to just click into your gut and to click into wise mind, is to get to journaling. Journaling can actually be really helpful when you're working on decision making and trusting your gut and owning your truth. It becomes a really good way to get used to doing it. Because here's the thing, a lot of us write the way we think and, they, and we write the way we talk. So if you name a strong feeling, you write an opinion or you talk about something that's happened to you, your instinct is going to be to second guessing, even in journal form. So if you're taking the time to write it out, you are gonna be able to actually catch yourself easier in that process of second guessing and doubting yourself. It becomes easier to stop because you have the thought and you're writing it down and in the action of writing it down is the two seconds it takes you to realize you're talking nonsense, to realize that you're disregarding your truth, you're second guessing yourself, you're making yourself small. So it becomes a way to stop your brain from making that connection in the moment. It interrupts that wiring. So if you're writing something like, my mom really hurt my feelings today, and then you find yourself saying something like, she's getting old, she probably didn't mean it, she lives in Florida, the hurricanes are coming, she's probably super stressed. If you find yourself writing something and then immediately negating it, you then get to delete that shit. So you notice when you catch yourself doing it. And if you're blaming or shaming yourself, you actively, in the moment, with your journal in hand, you force yourself to stop. Because here's the thing. When you are writing the story of your life and what you want to have happen next, we don't want your mom holding the pen. Let's all sit with it for a second. And even if you can, if you're not driving, if you're in a safe space, maybe even pull over and write this one down. When writing the story of your life, and what you want to have happen next, don't let your mother hold the pen. Now, there's something about narcissistic abuse recovery that feels really private, especially when we're talking about our mothers. 
And I think sometimes the narcissistic partners, the narcissistic boyfriends, the narcissistic husbands, the narcissistic girlfriends, all of those, if you're not on social media that long, you will quickly see everybody talking about the toxic boyfriend, everybody talking about the toxic narcissistic husband. In another life, I was a coach in a dating program <laughs> for a few years. You might not want to ask about that one. But I used to joke with my friends that apparently everyone's ex-husband was a narcissist. And sometimes narcissism becomes this catch-all for when someone's an asshole. But I know that all of you know the real difference between the social media use of the word and your actual experience. Because your experience, it is never felt that casually. It can sometimes feel like something you can't talk about or share. And it can feel like something that nobody would really believe, especially at first if you try talking about it and you're told your mother probably didn't mean it. I have a new client who just started with me and that was what her previous therapist said. So good on her for firing that therapist and finding me. But here's the thing. However you do this, shame cannot exist in the light. I'm totally stealing that from Brene Brown, but I live it. Because here's the thing, we get out of our heads and out of that trauma brain thinking when we say our truth out loud. This doesn't mean telling your mother. It doesn't mean opening up to an enabling father or anyone else who's going to fail to support you in your truth or experience. Stopping the habit of second-guessing yourself cannot exist in a vacuum. And it's important to start talking about it and sharing it with the safe people who know you, who see you, and who have your back. You want to get practice at sharing the parts of yourself or your story with the people that you feel safe with and supported by. Your body memory is going to tell you that you will somehow be banished or rejected or abandoned for speaking your truth out loud. We have to increase the number of experiences you have where when you say your truth out loud and you share your experience, you are met with love, compassion, and kindness. That's what's going to change the body memory you have that sharing pieces of yourself might lead to something bad. If you can increase those positive experiences, you're going to be less likely to second guess yourself because your point of reference for that experience will begin to shift and turn to the more positive one. While you're focusing on this, I want you to keep increasing the time spent practicing with the people who get it. Talk to them about what you're working on and share that they can help you by validating your experiences, not rushing to problem solving and just listening to you. Likewise, though, you're going to have to work on decreasing the time spent with the exact opposite kind of person. Wise mind, journaling, and sharing are some of the examples that I'm giving you for more mental fitness, more mental strength, and more confidence. If they were physical exercises and you followed each one of them with my preferred treats of choice, donuts or french fries, you would never get to your destination of a better health or a stronger body. 
So the same is true. If you're working on building yourself up and staying in consistent contact with people like your mom who make you feel negative or who have a negative influence on you, you're largely going to be setting yourself up to fail. And I assure you here, I am not saying that you have to go no contact. I'm simply suggesting that while you were working to hear your own voice more, you can give yourself a little bit of a helping hand here. If you make it so you hear hers and others like hers a little bit less. Once your confidence increases and once you feel more comfortable in knowing your own mind, your own needs, and your own boundaries, it's going to be easier to return to some kind of relationship with your mom without losing your mental strength or your self-confidence. The next way to think about this a little bit, and you've heard me say this before, but I, I think it's important to really periodically reintroduce yourself to yourself. You're so used to having this habitually low self-esteem that you might not even realize that some of the healing you've been doing is actually already starting to connect and it's actually starting to change your perception of yourself. We so often carry these old, tired narratives of ourselves, and sometimes we just have to stop ourselves and ask, now that I've started to do the work, who am I now? What do I think? What do I believe? What's my truth? How have I changed? I'm used to feeling like I don't know my own mind, I'm used to second-guessing myself and doubting myself, but do I still? You want to spend some time catching up with yourself. The story you have about second-guessing yourself might just be that, a story. So here's a way of thinking about it. During the pandemic, I lost about 50 pounds. And admittedly, <laughs> if we're truth-telling on this show, I've gained 15 back. So I do have some work to do again. But when I was at that lower weight, my husband caught me getting into his car in this really funny way. He saw the way I maneuvered my body and he asked me if I was stiff or sore, if I had a knot in my neck or something. And I didn't know what he was talking about until I realized that I was moving as though I had never lost the weight. I was more nimble and more lean but still I was moving as if I was carrying all of that old weight. I had to catch up with myself, and I had to catch up with my body. After all, it had lost a lot of weight. And mentally, when we are working on ourselves, we have to do the same thing. We regularly have to check in with ourselves because we're changing so much, so fast, that we don't always realize it. So we speak our old stories about ourselves out loud as if they're still true without even realizing that that story has actually now shifted. It's old, it's become tired, and it needs to put, be put to bed once and for all. Once you're catching up with yourselves a bit, why don't you include a gut check on something? Who is holding the measuring stick? of what success looks like. Is it you? Is it coming from your current version of you? The older version of you with absurdly high expectations of perfectionism that's tied to people-pleasing? Is your mom holding the measuring stick? I have to be honest with you, even as I say this, I get a little bit nervous because 
telling you to hold on to, <laughs> to your own measuring sticks, I have to admit, feels a little bit risky because all of you are still struggling with perfectionism and people pleasing. So for all I know, your expectation of what success looks like is downright absurd and unrealistic. However, I'd like to think that if you've been listening to this show for at least a little while, long enough to know that I am not encouraging you to set some super high bar for yourselves, you likely know that I would encourage you to lower it if you're jumping through hoops to attain anything. But most of all, it's really important that it isn't your mom holding the measuring stick. So if you're holding it, but it's complete with silly high, stupid expectations, I have to admit to all of you, I'm a little bit good with that. <laughs> we can clean up that mess later because if you're working on yourselves and you're trying to stop yourself from second guessing yourself, but your mom is still holding the measuring stick, we are only setting you up to fail. We have to get that stick back in your hands. So first things first, and as you're doing the work and as you're thinking all of this through, pay attention to any negative, niggling, gnawing beliefs you have about yourself or that you're just carrying with you. Pay attention to how you're talking about yourself and to yourself. If you catch yourself talking to yourself in a way that would hurt the four-year-old little girl inside of you, stop using those words. Stop using that language. Start talking to yourself in the same way you would want someone to be talking to that little girl inside of you. If you feel a little bit behind the times with this skill, it's reparenting yourself and all of that, you might have a little bit of catching up to do. Go back and do me a favor and listen to the third episode of the show. It's From Self-Doubt to Self-Love. I spent a lot of time in that episode talking about how you do that. There's a worksheet that's listed that helps you walk through some journaling prompts. I'll link it again in the show notes. By the way, guys, I added all of my resources to my website. Those of you who started with me know that I was sending you to Canva at the beginning. They are now, I'm a grown up in this world. <laughs> They're now all linked on my website as they probably should have been on day one. But anyway, onward and upward. That link is going to lead you to all the resources I've created for the show, and all of them are going to help you listen to your own voice and to trust it. And as you're working on trusting yourself more, it isn't just your mom's voice that you're going to have to stop listening to. You are going to have to start paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Make sure the content that you are listening to supports how you want to be thinking of yourself and how you want to move through the world. Make sure the content you're exposing yourself to speaks to you in the way you would want your four-year-old self to be spoken to. Again, maybe in the case of my show, you want the language edited out. Totally understand, but you get where I'm going here. Because here's the thing. The self-help industry can be really motivating, but it can also be incredibly debilitating. In creating this podcast for you, I have done a lot of things that I have historically been told I couldn't or shouldn't do. I shouldn't be so detailed. I shouldn't offer so much. I should be on social more. I need to promote my show more. I should build an email list. I should, I should, I should. I had to tell all of those shoulds to go fuck themselves. Well, there you go, four-year-old little girl. Sorry about that one. 
because honestly, like, I know I'm doing all of this wrong, according to some people. I know I'm not doing enough to market it. I know that I'm working incredibly hard for something that is paying me zero dollars. I know this. I know it. I know and I don't care because for now, where I am at in this and where we are all in this together, this makes sense for me. Maybe someday it's more. Maybe someday I'm adding ads to this so I can be reimbursed for my time. Maybe someday I'm turning this into more or making it bigger. But right now, I am good with me and I am so very good with us. And that's all that matters. But you met Heather Clark a few weeks ago, <laughs> the editor for this show. When she hears me shit on myself all the time, sometimes I'm jumping ahead and other times I'm second guessing myself and everything and I'm failing to take myself seriously. Sometimes I get so wrapped up in the passion of it all that I'm not slowing down and I'm not stopping to think. None of those are good places to be because that means someone else is holding my measuring stick. Someone else's voice is in my head and I'm not running my own show. So I have to stop listening to anything that tells me to build a better podcast, how to monetize my podcast or how to anything my podcast. I am really good with where I'm at and where we're at. So I have to stop listening to the noise. You do too. If it isn't helping you, if it isn't lifting you, if it isn't building you up, turn it off, block it, don't read it, don't click on it, don't listen, don't watch. Expose yourself to the ideas, to the people, and the media that lift you and making you better. Where your attention goes, grows. I might have butchered that. I heard it somewhere. But I, th I think you know what I'm saying. I stop listening to the shoulds by rereading the reviews you have all written for me for the show. I reread the emails I've received and I tune into the feeling of what it feels like to be doing this my way by listening to my intuition and following my own path. That's how I lower the volume on the outside noise and the voices that are telling me I'm doing it wrong or what I should be doing instead. I turn them off and I tune into how it feels for me when I am doing it on my terms. I also think sometimes that this isn't always about process. Trusting ourselves, trusting our gut, trusting our intuition, it isn't always going to be about words, journals, mindfulness, deep breathing, or anything that supposedly makes us better. Sometimes it's about no words. For me, I love, for example, taking close-up pictures. I'm actually counting down until the iPhone has that new periscope lens coming out because I take so many close-ups of flowers. Clients of mine see them behind the wall on me when I'm working with them because I have them all behind me when I'm doing these Zoom calls. When I'm playing with my phone, I stop thinking about pretty much anything else. I can get really still. And tuning into creativity is another way that we can start hearing our own voices and finding our own truth. We second guess ourselves sometimes less when we're being creative. I know a lot of creatives who second guess themselves more, but 
sometimes what we produce creatively speaks our truth louder than our words can. So you want to tune into your creativity and listen to what it tells you. You very likely will find some of your intuition there. You've heard me talk about my playlist before, and I am a sucker for song lyrics. My go-to music usually are story songs or country music, but I love me some Sarah Bareilles or Kelly Clarkson or Pink. And I often hear my truth in the songs that I find myself saving. So sometimes I don't relate at all to a song, but I hear someone else's truth and I actually want to honor it by listening to it and saving it. And when we see a social media post or we listen to a podcast or hear a song or read a book and think to ourselves, that feels true for me too, or I relate to that, we are finding our truth. And if you really do feel lost and uncertain about what you think and feel, what songs, lyrics, books, poems, or quotes feel true for you. You might not be ready to say it for yourself yet. It's okay to let someone else say it for you. Don't be afraid either to let a safe person listen and share it with them. This feels true for me. Sometimes you can let someone else say it and simply say, this is also my story. Okay, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to link the song in the show notes. <laughs> my show, my rules. You see, I get self-conscious about how twisty-turny my career path has been, how many things I've tried that didn't work, how many times I've tried to put myself out there and fallen really publicly on my face. I'm 47 years old, and I'm still figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. And this current iteration of my private practice and the podcast feels the most true that I have felt in a really long time. But I also sense that there might be more, that this show I started is becoming a community and that there might actually be more than this. So there's this song. <laughs> it's called Superpower and it's by Carolyn Jones. I promise you I'm not going to sing. Her lyrics in the song are, Am I selling out if I recalibrate? Ain't it natural that along the way, the way I define success would evolve? Wouldn't that be okay? But not giving up is my superpower and my kryptonite. <laughs> Just saying that here to you feels so true. When I first heard it, I burst into tears. I felt it so much. And I shared it with all of my people because that really is how this little show of ours feels here. I've had a show before. I did 500 episodes of a daily show and it has not come close to what we have created here in just 21 episodes. Not giving up for sure is my superpower, but God damn it if it isn't also my kryptonite. I've also been obsessed with Pink's All I Know So Far. She's got this lyric that I find myself saying out loud, and I, <laughs> any clients listening know that I've said it to them too, but she says, let the walls crack, 
because it lets the light in. And that's what I'm doing here by talking and sharing with all of you, letting the light in, encouraging you to let the light in for yourselves, to find the people whose words inspire you, to find your truth, and then to share it. Finding your truth and not second guessing might also mean that you need a little bit of a role model for confidence, especially healthy confidence, because after all, you are so used to seeing your mother's confidences, right? They're her, whatever her version of confidence is, it's always tinged with the edges of narcissism. So your version of confidence might be tinged with that. That might be your story. So then as a result, you might be holding the idea of being confident or being unapologetic as also being slightly narcissistic. Part of finding confidence is recognizing that you need to find for yourself whose example of confidence works for you. You've heard me say on the show before that I really admire the holistic psychologist in social media. She's so good at teaching succinctly. And then there's Brene Brown. And I love her for her accessibility and how she makes clinical topics really relatable. But she's a researcher first, and that's not me. I rarely research. I'm awful at prioritizing my own learning or repeating it back. Even though I like the way that the holistic psychologist does things so succinctly, and the way Brene has this ability to make research both accessible and relatable, neither of those folks are going to be me. It's helpful at times to find that role model that does feel accessible to you and does feel like an example of what you were aspiring to. And for me, I have to tell you, in all honesty, I don't even watch the show, but we're talking pop culture here today and I'm sending you song links. So I'm going to include a link to a show too. It's a clip from the Drew Barrymore talk show. And in the clip, she stops her own talk show because she notices an audience member crying. And then in another clip, I see like she's like holding hands of somebody who's sharing something really personal when they're talking. I saw both of those things, particularly where she stops the show for the crying audience member. And the audience member is like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm this person. And Drew says to her, no, totally be that person. And I was like, yep, that's me. That's my example. In her example, I saw my truth. I saw someone moving in the image of who I wanted to be. We can't be listening to lyrics, finding role models, and saying, this is me in any kind of loud Broadway way. We can't do that without working on self-acceptance. So much of not second-guessing ourselves sometimes is going to be accepting who we actually are. I am never going to be the holistic psychologist who's able to explain all these complicated things in these crazy, concise ways while also being clear and relatable. I am never going to be the one who takes the time to thoroughly research a point before I make it. 
Shoot, like Wendy, you asked a question. I think it took up all of two lines, and we're 45 minutes into a master class on not second-guessing yourself. I may not know what that is exactly or what that says about me, but I also have to say it feels like something good, something that I want to lean into and hold on to. The way I'm doing it feels right for me right now. If it stops feeling good, I can take a second, I can re-examine it, and I can move in a different direction. But by accepting where I am now and who I am now, I'm starting to gain that confidence that's needed in my instincts. One of the things that Brene says, what if everyone is doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time? Write that one down too. She's even wiser than me. So what if everyone is doing the best with the tools they have at the time? What if I am doing my best with the tools I have in front of me and available to me right now? That's what's true for you. It's true for you, Wendy, and it's true for everyone we have joining in on this conversation between the two of us today. You are all doing the very best you can with the tools you have right now. And it feels a little bit like we're building a support group here. All of you are writing in with your stories. Others are listening in. And maybe someday this is going to be an actual or virtual support group. But for now, if you're listening and you need actual support, if you're doing the work with yourself or with a therapist, and you're finding that sharing it with just yourself isn't enough, I have really found that support groups and therapy groups can be really good tools and resources for finding your own voice and finding your confidence. If you're really struggling with this, if you're thinking about the tools and strategies and you can't wrap your head around it or don't know where to begin or don't know how you might get there, Maybe give this episode a second listen with a notebook so you can take some notes, but also think about finding your own support group. Lastly, I want to think about something here. For you, Wendy, and everyone listening, I want you to make gosh darn sure that you are marking down your wins. You want to cement them. When you speak up for yourself, when you protect your peace, when you state your preference, when you share your truth, when you name a feeling, when you say, this is me, put a stamp on it. Make note of it. Create physical, measurable, observable symbols of your wins, of your work, and of your successes. We can get so used to beating ourselves up, and we can do that for hours but we'll take a compliment and we'll just brush it aside. We'll minimize it. We'll disregard it. And we can feel good about something and then suddenly turn that thing so quickly into something that's smaller. How we think about ourselves matters. How we talk to ourselves matters. And when we are awesome, we should highlight that. It will combat the negative messages you hear. Those things will start to resonate more and they'll be louder than the messages you've heard from your mom, 
for all these years. All of this together is how we reprogram your brain into trusting your gut more, to second-guessing yourself less, to having more self-compassion, and to finding your way towards more self-acceptance. Wendy, see what I could do with a single question? We've been talking for an hour. And I did this, though, because this question, it warranted this amount of depth. You matter, and it's important that you know you matter. Whatever your truth is, I believe you. And it is really important that you believe you too. Thank you so much for reaching out and for allowing me the opportunity to really dig into this conversation. You asked it really simply, but this shit isn't easy. You know that. Women listening in, you all know that too. Thanks so much for today. I'm going to link those show resources in the show notes for you. I'm going to commit to as well to linking the songs and the Drew Barrymore clip in for you too. Just because I said I would, even though now I'm saying it, I feel a little silly because that's what we're going to do, right? We're getting practice at saying this feels weird. This feels strange, but this is my safe space. So I'm going to share with you. Hopefully I'm role modeling that for you. So next week, we're helping a listener who wants to prepare for the next time her mom acts out. What does she say? How can she respond? How do you respond to the toxic people in your life? And included in this is something that a lot of my clients are working on right now. If she acts out and you take space, how do you communicate that? And what's the best way to use that space and take advantage of it? That's next time. Just a little bit of a caveat on next time. I'm bumping up against a vacation here. I have preloaded and pre-recorded a bunch of episodes so they come out on time and so that you get regularly scheduled episodes in your podcast app. I might end up missing a week. If you don't see me next week, same time, same that channel, who else uh, knows that reference? It's simply because I went away and then when I came back to work, I had to get back to work and I didn't have time to do a new podcast episode, but I am coming back at you next time. So thank you so very much for today. All of you are in this together. You're all over the world and I am in it with you. Bye for now. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're right where you're supposed to be. At its heart, I'm hoping to use this show to build the community of women working together to heal from childhoods marked by maternal narcissism and emotional neglect. My goal for Mother Mayhem is that this show becomes an advice and mentoring-driven show where you share your questions, struggles, and stories, and I offer you direction for healing and recovery. That can't happen without your contributions. I invite you to send a recorded voice memo or write in an email with your questions and things you're struggling with. You can always find me over at heather at daughtersnpd.com. To connect further, I invite you to find me over at Instagram and occasionally on TikTok at daughtersnpd. If you know another woman who needs this conversation in her life, I'm going to ask that you share the show with her. You can help me get the word out with your reviews and social shares of the show and I hope you'll consider doing so. Special thanks to Heather Clark for editing this show. She's in my head and knows what I meant to say when the words come out backwards. Thanks for your time today. I'm always in it with you. Bye for now.